If you were to read the book The Wizard of Oz, and maybe you have, or maybe you've seen the movie, do you think the author of that book wants you to believe that the Wicked Witch of the West is good or wicked? <laughs> you might think that's kind of a dumb question. Um, obviously, wicked. That's very, very clear. And how do you know that? Because you read the book and the author is communicating something very, very clear. If you read uh, any of the books in the Harry Potter series, uh, would you expect that in those books you're going to find advice on how to change the oil in your car? Well, no, of course not, because the books don't address that. Um, and so you shouldn't go there looking, looking for anything. The, um, if you were to read a biography on Peter the Great, who was a ruler in Russia during the 1600s and 1700s, would you expect that that book is going to celebrate the presidency of Abraham Lincoln? No. Of course not, because the author isn't talking about that. You, uh, you read a book and you know what the author is talking about and the content of the book is very, very clear. This week we are, we're going to be talking about one particular book and we're going to be talking about one particular area of content in that book. And the question we're going to be asking is, does this book speak very clearly on this particular area of content? And the book that we're going to be talking about is the book that is known as the Bible. And the piece of content we're going to be talking about is homosexuality. And the question we're going to be asking is, does the Bible speak very clearly on homosexuality, identifying whether it is good or whether it is evil? And uh, does it do that in particular to how we talk about it and how it applies in today's world? I am not going to be trying to uh, convince anyone that they should read the Bible or that they should even respect the Bible or that they should even believe the Bible. Instead, we're just going to look at the basic content of what the Bible teaches and ask the, answer the question, does it speak clearly? What does the content say? Because we know, we know how to identify clear meanings from the content of books, Wizard of Oz, Harry Potter, biographies, different things like that. So I'm going to run through a couple of different Bible passages that talk that address homosexuality in the Bible and just give you some insight. I'm going to give away the answer right away, and I'm going to tell you that the Bible does address homosexuality very specifically, and it does very specifically identify homosexuality as a sin. And these are the passages, uh, there are some passages here that I want to read that talks about that. First one is from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse, uh, verses 8 to 10, where it says, We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, and for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Obviously, the phrase that jumps out there is the phrase, those practicing homosexuality. And if you go back into the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, it was written in Greek, it seems that the Apostle Paul who wrote that letter may have invented the word that, uh, that is translated there as those practicing homosexuality, where he took two words that were otherwise well-known, the word for male, as in male opposed to female, and the word for bed. And he just put those two words together to say, males who share a bed with each other. And, uh, and after this, um, after this was used, in other literature outside of the Bible, it seems that that word was picked up, and in every case where it's used in literature outside the Bible, it always refers to same-sex intimacy. So Paul is not speaking positively about those who practice homosexuality. The next passage is from the book of Romans, chapter 1, where it says, Therefore God gave them over in the sin gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. 
In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. So what Paul is saying is that men and women, they abandoned the natural way that God created things related to intimacy between a man and a woman. The next passage is from the book of Jude. Jude 7. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. And the key word there is the word perversion. Um, perversion back then was, would have been, a, in uh, literature outside of the Bible, it was a slang term that was always used for same-sex intimate relationships. And so Jude connects it with Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament. Then a couple of verses from the uh, book of Leviticus from the Old Testament. Do not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife and defile yourself with her. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, that is detestable. Do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself with it. And the reason, the reason I read all these verses together is because some will say, well, passages in the Old Testament, they no longer apply. And so even though that verse that says, uh, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, that is detestable, even though the content of that is crystal clear, some will say that, well, in the Old Testament, you can just disregard anything the Old Testament says. But to be completely consistent with that, you would also have to say, also disregard the other ones. You know, say, do not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife. I don't think anybody is going to say that that's a good idea. Or do not, uh, do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech. There are no groups out there who are saying, well, that's a good idea. We should really support child sacrifices or we should really support sexual relations with animals or anything like that. And I only bring it up for that reason, that there needs to be some consistency in how we, in how we talk about it. One more passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is that same word that we talked about earlier, the one that the Apostle Paul took, the word for male and the word for bed, and he, and he put it together. And he says very, very clearly that homosexuality is one of many sins that will keep a person out of heaven. And the key point I want to emphasize there is that it's one of many sins is that the Bible puts homosexuality on the same level as being greedy, getting drunk, uh, slandering somebody, talking down with somebody. It's one, of, it's one of many sins. Someone might also say, you know, it's one of many sins that Jesus never talked about. And that's true. If you look for just the places in the Bible where Jesus himself speaks, um, people will say, Jesus never condemned homosexuality. And that's true. But the reason he didn't, it seems, is because he felt he didn't need to. Time and again, when somebody asked Jesus, what does God say? What does the Bible say? You know, what does God say? What does God want me to do? Jesus responded by saying, well, what does the Bible say? What do you read in Scripture? Because Jesus believed that God's word is all of Scripture, all of it. Um, and so he didn't feel he needed to address every topic. And it is one of many topics that, and one of many sins that, that he doesn't address but Scripture does put homosexuality on the same level as so many other sins that don't get as much attention these days, but God gives it equal attention. And then one more Bible passage related to all of these things and how we talk about all of these sins that can keep any individual out of heaven if they are practicing them, and that's from the book of Hebrews. Where it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And just speaking on the topic of homosexuality, as we talk about this, as we consider this, as individuals deal with it in their own lives and in their own families, it is a topic that often reveals many of our weaknesses in a lot of different ways. Our weaknesses in loving God and loving one another and, and what that looks like in our lives and how we do that the best. But with any of our weaknesses, that passage reminds us that when we come to Jesus, we will always receive mercy and we will always find grace. Mercy is God looking at our hurts and responding in love. Grace is God looking at our mistakes and responding in love always responding in love. And however, whatever hurts this topic is revealing in your life or in anybody else's, this week we're going to take a look at how God's mercy and God's grace give us guidance on how to move forward in the best ways. This week we're talking about the topic of homosexuality and thanks for joining us for this very important, very timely, and very personal topic. The, um, yesterday we said that you know, homosexuality is one of many sins that the Bible condemns as something that will separate a person from God and keep a person out of heaven. It, uh, it has everything in common with greed and with anger and with getting drunk and uh, any, anything else that the Bible condemns as sin. But there is one way that homosexuality is different than many of the other sins in the Bible, and it's different in this way, especially in today's world, is that there are many groups in the world today that actively promote homosexuality, that call something the Bible says is sinful as not sinful and that want others to believe the same thing. And that makes it unique. Uh, for example, you don't have many groups in the world today or any groups who are, uh, who are politicking for, we need more laws that allow us to be greedy. Or we, uh, we need more laws that allow people to get more drunk. You know, those, those things don't happen. There's pretty wide recognition that those are sinful, that those are bad, and so you don't have groups who are celebrating those things. But for homosexuality, it's different. It is celebrated. There are parades and there are festivals, and you see it celebrated at award shows and in, and in movies and on television and in pop culture and in music and uh, lots, of, lots of different places. And, uh, and you might ask, why, why does that happen? The Bible gives at least one explanation as to why, um, as to why that happens. Um, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says, The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And it's just common sense that it's easier to believe something when other people are saying the same thing. And if this is, and if this is a topic where somebody believes, I want to believe this for any number of reasons, it's just a little bit easier to do so when other people are saying the same thing. Of course, the Bible doesn't. And, uh, and that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't talk positively about any number of different relationships. It does. Uh, the Bible, for example, speaks very positively about the blessings of companionship in any number of different relationships, uh, blessings of being single, the blessings of strong male friendships, the blessings of strong female friendships, the blessings of good relationships with a boss and an employee and coworkers and the government and having good relationships with strangers and good relationships even with your enemies. So it speaks very positively about all those. It also speaks very positively about sexual intimacy between one man and one woman in marriage and even uses that as a picture of God's great love for us in Christ and the relationship that we have, that we have with God through our Savior. 
But the Bible does not speak positively at all about, about homosexuality, and yet there are many, there are many who do. There is an army that is building in the world today that is becoming louder and louder and louder. And if, if you or someone you know is surrounding yourself with that army in order to feel better about something that the Bible identifies as a sin, then there's a very simple principle that, uh, that the Bible talks about very often that you need to remember, and that is this. The majority doesn't win. The majority doesn't win. Jesus talked about this with his disciples, with, uh, with the Apostle Peter in Matthew chapter 16, when he said, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Um, Peter had just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, What you just said is the rock-solid foundation that will keep a person standing for eternity. And he said, not even the gates of Hades, not even the full army of hell is going to be able to overcome the Jesus who eventually came out of his grave alive after the world and Satan and all of his armies tried to take him down. The majority doesn't win. The majority doesn't win. Jesus does. And that's an important thing to keep in mind if you are somebody who is feeling surrounded by the armies and overwhelmed by the large number of people and the the strength of the voices who are coming who are coming at you on this particular topic it can feel overwhelming when there are many voices who are saying who are saying this is okay and this is good and you should celebrate it and you're a really mean person if you don't when uh, when you know what the bible says when you know what the bible says and about what it what it does if, to a person if they continue to hold on to this sin then you need to hear these words if you're feeling surrounded also from second timothy when, uh, when, 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 Timothy, when, uh, when Paul wrote to Timothy and said, you know, people will gather around them, people who will just tell them what they want to hear so that it's easier to believe. The verse before that said this. It said, it said, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. So when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So those two things. Great patience, keep going, and careful instruction. Look for opportunities to share the word. And then, if you go after uh, a few verses later, it gives you some context as to when the Apostle Paul was writing this to his young friend Timothy. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. The Apostle Paul was in a fight too. And he was very familiar with what it was like to be surrounded by armies and armies and armies of individuals who wanted nothing to do with God. It was a fight. It was a fight. But he knew that it was a fight that had already been won. It had already been won by Jesus. And he was looking forward to the day when there would be no more fight. Where he would just be in the safety and security of heaven. And he would see with his own eyes, as the rest of the world would, that Jesus really does win. Jesus wins. And so do those who are with him. And if you have to live by faith right now, and we all do, trusting that Jesus is living, trusting that Jesus wins, trusting that in the end our eyes will see that, and trusting that in the end God will make good on all of his promises related to every precious lamb that, uh, that he called to be his own, just know that you're not alone. We all live by faith. But keep that faith focused on Jesus, who in the end wins along with you. 
As we talk about the topic of homosexuality with others, there are two very important principles that Scripture wants us to keep in mind that should guide our discussions and guide the attitude of our discussions. It talks about that in a number of places. I'll share two of them with you. Ephesians chapter 4 says this. It says, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 13 verse 6 says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And so the two principles, of course, you have are God wants us to speak the truth and we ought to speak the truth in love. Is that um, it's not loving if you speak or support a lie um, and if you're telling lies or telling the truth <laughs> without, without being loving, it's not going to do much good. We speak the truth and we speak in love. So I want to review just, uh, just a couple of truths or share a couple of truths that I wrote down related, related to the Bible and related to this topic. I said on the, on the first day of these, um, in the first video series here, my goal is not to try to convince you to believe that the Bible is true, um, or, um, but just to share what the content of the Bible is. And yet, that's what the Bible presents about itself, that the Bible presents itself as God's word and it presents itself as a book that is entirely true. So that's true. That's just from the very simple content of the Word of God, is that it presents itself as a book that is God's truth. Um, another, another truth, the Bible actually makes itself easier to discredit than any other religious book that you will, that you will find out there. Because basically, you only have to prove that one thing did not happen and it throws the entire book away, and that one thing is the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, you basically have to prove that a person who was dead did not actually rise from the dead and... If you can successfully do that, then you discredit the entire book. But so far, nobody's been able to do that. There are people who have doubts about that and people who think that it didn't happen or wonder how it might happen. But there's, uh, there's, there's no proof that it didn't happen. And in fact, if you go throughout the entire Bible, there are, many, uh, there are many pieces of history that's shared in the Bible and there are many promises that God makes in the Bible. And if you look at all those pieces of history and those, uh, and those, uh, those promises that God shares, you cannot find a single one of them that is ever proven to be false. Again, there are many who have questions about them, and they wonder, did that actually happen? Or they think, I don't see how that could happen. Or they think, there seems to be an inconsistency here where it says here in one thing, but I'm kind of wondering how you, how you resolve that. But there is nothing in the Bible that is ever proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, 100%, to be, to be false, um, which is in line with what the Bible says about itself. When the angel visited Mary and told her that she was going to conceive as a virgin, the, um, the angel, you know, Mary asked, well, how will this be? The angel said, well, no word from God will ever fail. God is very serious about keeping his promises. And as far as we can tell, so far looking at the Bible, he has kept every, every one of them, though there are there's still some that, that have yet to be kept. Um, but that's a, that's a truth. Another truth that we looked at from the Bible. According to the Bible, homosexuality is one of many sins. That, uh, that will separate a person from God. We talked about that uh, earlier in one of the videos. Also true, there's a growing army of support for this one sin in the, in the public arena. Lots of different groups, lots of different areas that are promoting homosexuality as okay and in some cases even, even God-pleasing and even, and even Christian. It's also true that throughout history there have been many Christians who have shared the truth of homosexuality in a very unloving way. Some Christians have been very harsh and unloving in how they've talked about homosexuality and how they've spoken with homosexuals 
and how they've referred to those who struggle, who struggle with homosexuality or who practice homosexuality. And for every time, and while I have not, I do not know everybody who has ever done this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that has ever happened. That the truth of God's word has ever been shared in a way that has any, been anything less, less than loving. But it happens a lot. And it discredits the message of God's word and discredits the heart of God when, when that is done. It's also true that throughout history, many groups and many in the name of Jesus have used the Bible to oppress certain particular groups. Women, children, um, minorities. Um, the people have used the Bible to support the institution of slavery, to say it's a God-pleasing thing. And again, where that has happened, I'm sorry. And anybody who has ever done that should, should say sorry too. And if you're an individual who has ever talked about this, talked about, tried to share the truth in an unloving or in a way that's uh, in an unloving way or in a way that's not consistent with what the Bible teaches in its context, then you should apologize too. It's, uh, it's the right, it's the right thing to do. And why have people done that? Why have people used the Bible to uh, to support their own agenda? Yeah, the simple reason might be simply because they're selfish, or they it feels good to be uh, right, or um, or they just they want to get what they want, or or whatever it is. But whatever the motivation, it's not right if the Bible has been misused, misconstrued, mistranslated, to um, just to suit somebody's to suit somebody's own desires. So a lot of different truths. Um, I have a couple others. The truth is, this topic creates a lot of hurt. It, takes, it creates a lot of hurt, and it's a hard topic to talk about. It's a hard topic to talk about for those who started having homosexual feelings um, and grew up and grew up in places where they knew that that was not okay. Because it wasn't easy for someone to talk. It wasn't easy to find someone to talk to about it. And that's hard. And that's a heavy weight to carry. That's a lot of, that's a lot of hurt. And in many cases, you tried to carry that burden all alone because you were afraid of how people would react and you had, been, you had been led to believe that they would react in a very hostile way towards you and not love you anymore. That creates a lot of hurt. When this, is a, when this sin is continued in somebody's life and they go on with it and it eventually becomes a public thing or a part of just their everyday life, their everyday existence, that also creates a lot of hurt. Broken families, broken relationships, it becomes a divisive issue instead of one that unites. Um, one group holding on to the truth and one group holding on, holding on to a lie. Um, and that, creates, and that creates a lot of hurt. It creates a lot of hurt, and it's very hard in, in a lot of other ways, too. And for one person in particular, it hurt for Jesus, too. It hurt for Jesus. To be called guilty of every sin that every one of us has ever committed, it hurt for him. It hurt when the innocent Lamb of God was put on a cross and stabbed with nails and offered as the sacrifice that would make the full payment that would wash us clean of every sin and leave us as spotless, pure, radiant, holy children of God in Christ. It hurt. That's the truth. But Jesus also knew the truth, that he was the only one who could save us from any sin, no matter what it is. His was the only life that was valuable enough and holy enough to be acceptable enough to God to cover the sins of the whole world. And that was a, that was a truth that hurt, but he was willing to go through with it. And as a result... Sinners like us get to look forward to the reality of heaven because all of our sins have been forgiven in him. And those are important truths to hold on to. Uh, and as we look to talk about this topic with others, as we look to express it with others, just keep in mind this principle from the book of Philippians where it says this, 
says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so maybe a key question to ask yourself before you get into a discussion with somebody on the topic of homosexuality is this. Am I being selfish? Am I having this conversation as my motivation that I want to be right or that I want my life to be easy? Is it anything other than love? Ask yourself, what is the truth that I know? And what is the most loving thing that I can do? And that will guide you. It will. And then trust this last passage. James chapter 4, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will. How? When? What will it look like? It doesn't say. We only know that no word from God will ever fail. Humble yourselves before God. Serve one another in love. Have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And God will lift you up. As we continue our talk on homosexuality this week, I'd like, you, I'd like to read to you from the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, day from Jesus' ministry. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. I want you to picture a sheep that doesn't have a shepherd. So uh, they've gotten lost, they've walked away, they've wandered. Sheep are really good at wandering. They really can't defend themselves, they can't protect themselves, they, um, they have poor eyesight so they really don't know where they're going. And Imagine that the sheep wanders off and it gets, it gets stuck in a thorn bush. And the more it struggles, the more, the more deep into the thorn bush, the deeper into the thorn bush it continues to go. And it keeps struggling and keeps struggling, but it gets deeper and deeper and more entwined and more entwined and more entwined um, until finally it stops struggling. What does it mean that it stopped struggling? It, mean that something, it means that something very important was missing from its life. It meant the sheep no longer had hope. It meant the sheep had given up. It meant the sheep had thought, came to the conclusion that there is no way that I can possibly get out of this, and so I might as well stop trying. But as long as the sheep was struggling, it was an indication of hope. Hope was alive. Hope was there. There was a belief that maybe this will turn out well for me. It doesn't feel very good in the moment, but it might, it might someday. And I want you to think about that because it relates it relates to our struggles with homosexuality, our struggles with any, really, any type of sin. If there is a sin that you personally struggle with or that you see somebody struggling with, the struggle is actually a good thing if you see them struggling. If they have stopped struggling, you know, then, uh, then, then that means that they've lost hope. It means that there's little to no faith that anything good or anything different might ever happen. But if a person is struggling, it means that they're wrestling in some really, really good ways, believing that they might find they might get out of this. And hope is exactly what Jesus came to give us as he came to struggle on the cross, as he wrestled with his own life and wrestled with his own thoughts, as he wrestled with the temptations that assaulted him 
And with the constant, with the constant balance of the constant, constantly asking himself the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it to keep struggling? Is it worth it to keep going? And the answer that he came to over and over again and again was, yes, you're worth it. You're worth it. He sees your struggles. He sees our weakness. He sees that we are harassed and helpless in so many ways, like that crowd that he saw that day. And in particular, when it comes to the topic of homosexuality, I don't know if there is a topic that assaults us and, and harasses us and in, uh, in just, in, it just overwhelms. It overwhelms us. It is so much in front of our faces and so much in front of our eyes. And for somebody who struggles with this in their own hearts, it can be as if it's the only thing that they struggle with day by day. But Jesus sees that, and he has compassion. And so if you are, if you are somebody who is struggling with this, to see your struggle as a sign of faith, it is. Because that's exactly what it is. It's a sign of faith. It means that your faith is active. It might be a struggle that you will struggle with for your entire life on earth until you are set free from the struggle in heaven. So don't give up. Keep struggling. And if you are somebody who sees someone you love struggling with this, don't give up on them. See the positive thing that's working in their life. See the faith and encourage it. Be positive with them. Show them Jesus. Show them how Jesus responds whenever he sees any of his sheep being harassed, any of his sheep feeling helpless against a weakness, against any kind of temptation. Just like it said in the Gospel of Matthew, he had compassion. His heart went out to them. Just like it goes out to you. When you're in the middle of a struggle, the more you point at the person who is struggling, the weaker you will feel because all you will see is a struggle. The more you point to the person and say, you are weak, you are struggling, you should be more, the weaker and more discouraged they will feel because they will always see a struggle. In some way, they will always see their weakness. But if you point to Jesus, say, did he die for that sin? Did he rise from the dead and guarantee us that there's a place reserved for that person in heaven? Is he sitting at the right hand of God right now, overseeing all of creation, guaranteeing that there's nothing in all creation that's going to keep us from one day being completely refreshed and relieved from everything that weighs us down? The answer is always yes. Shine the spotlight on him, on everything that he did, on everything that he does, on his great compassionate love. And you will always find the strength to keep struggling. Regarding the topic of homosexuality, one of the comments that I often hear from the homosexual community is, well, I didn't ask to feel this way. I didn't want this to happen. I didn't try for this to happen. And those, and those, who, are, um, those who believe the message of the Bible and salvation through Jesus Christ, they say, I prayed to God that it would never happen. I prayed and I prayed and I cried and I didn't for a very, very long time. And nothing changed. I didn't ask for this. This is just who I am. I know. You didn't ask for it. You didn't want it. You didn't invite it. You didn't indulge it. You didn't, uh, you didn't feed it. And it just, it was there. In many cases, it was, just, it was just there. But there's something else you should know that something you have that you didn't ask for. You have everything that Jesus did. You didn't ask God to call Jesus guilty of every sin you've ever committed. 
You didn't ask God to put Jesus on a cross and hang there in shame so that we could be forgiven. You didn't ask God to crush the head of Satan who throws his temptations at us every single day. You didn't ask God to do any of those things. And yet he did. Without you asking. Because he wanted to give you a place to which you could always look and see the truth about who you are in Jesus Christ. That in him you are one of God's own children. It says so in any number of places. 1 John chapter 3, Dear friends, now we are children of God. And he wasn't writing that to people who were, were living perfectly in any kind of way. 1 John chapter 5, We know that we are children of God. And it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter if in your past is the sin of murder, like it was for the Apostle Paul, or the sin of lying, like it was for the tax collector Matthew, who became Jesus' disciple. It doesn't matter if in your past, was, if, you have, uh, if you had anger issues, if you were guilty of betraying somebody like, like Peter was. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know, just look at the 1 Corinthians chapter 6 passage that we looked at earlier this week, where it said, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter if any of those sins are in your past. It doesn't matter if any of those sins were in your present today. You know what Paul says in the very next line? That is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And you didn't ask for that either. You didn't ask to be washed. You didn't ask to be sanctified. You didn't ask to be justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, you are. You are. No matter how often you look back in your life and see who you were, no matter how often on a daily basis you struggle with how you feel or with what you do, in Jesus Christ, the truth is you are God's child. You are. So go be who you are. Hey, what's up everyone? Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. Uh, we certainly would love this message to reach more and more people. So if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing this podcast, it would bring it to more people's eyes and we pray this message into more people's hearts. Thanks for your support and we'll talk to you soon.